This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Advantages Digital Learning Solutions, where learning is reimagined. Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to Learning Reimagined. I'm Allison, and with me is Sandy. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Allison. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And I, I have to say, I'm just, I'm very eager to hear from our speaker today. Yeah, we've had a bit of a heavy week here at Advantages. Um, we lost one of our students to suicide. And it's, it's part of the deal with the population we work with. We work with quite a few um, therapeutic schools where kids are being treated for anxiety and depression along with uh, substance abuse. So it is always in our minds that it's a possibility. And I know that the, the schools we work with um, really do a lot for suicide prevention. And um, in the past, we've had Claudia here, we've had Ryan here, all of which are great support systems and they, they work very diligently in this realm. Um, but today we have with us a um, person who works for a very large school district in California, and that is her job. Her, her career is working with teens. So she's really down in the trenches. Um, we have with us today, Megan Parent Sladen. Um, Megan began her education career in the late 90s as a high school teacher. She spent 14 years as a classroom teacher as, and as an English language learner program coordinator. That's a mouthful. <laughs> After earning her master's degree in school counseling, she began working in the youth development office of a large Northern California school district. She works with sixth through 12th grade students who are using drugs, alcohol, and tobacco. And she also teaches workshops on mental health, bullying prevention, and suicide prevention substance abuse and other educational, social, emotional topics for students, staff, and families. We felt it was very timely to have Megan here. And so Megan, Sandy and I welcome you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and first off, I'm so sorry for your, um, the tragedy that your school and, and that um, students, family and community are experiencing. Um, it is a, a really impossible thing to kind of get through sometimes, so. I'm sorry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay. Um, yeah, so I work in what's called the Youth Development Office, and our office does all kinds of auxiliary pieces to education. Um, I work primarily with our substance using youth, 6th through 12th grade. I work one-on-one -on -one with them to provide supports and link them to resources if they need outside um, resources and sort of be a support to try to help them through their substance use um, issues. I also teach a bunch of classes. One of them is called Youth Mental Health First Aid, which is a fabulous course um, that is offered by the National Council for on Mental Wellbeing. Um, and it, you know, if you're looking to learn more um, in your community, there are trainers across the nation um, in Youth Mental Health First Aid. You can just Google it and, and find classes in your area. It's a great course um, and kind of inform people about all kinds of different mental health issues young people are dealing with and then how to, how to help them. I also teach some suicide prevention classes. I work with uh, pregnant and parenting teens and um, uh, also do some concentrated supports um, for our LGBTQ population because they have a high, high rate of suicide attempts and suicidal ideation. So um, basically kind of a catch-all support for a lot of students who are going through a lot of intersectional um, pieces in their lives that could lead them to needing support. Megan, that sounds so comprehensive. 
<laughs> so much to be said. And we've had many parents contact us through the podcast and just ask questions because not, not just, for example, what we just went through in our school and our family, but just living right now through, we hear uh, just in my local school district where I live, it's, we've had, I want to say 13 suicides in the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. And it's just alarming. And the youngest was like the age of nine. So how, mm. how, do, we, how do we address this? I, I just, we're at a loss. It is incredibly alarming. And honestly, um, we won't know the data coming out of this crisis that we've been living through um, for a while, but I think it's going to be pretty shocking um, when we do. Part of it is suicide is already the second leading cause of death for people aged 10 to 24. Um, the only cause of death that's greater than that is is accidental death and that encompasses everything so drowning car accident wow little shooting so second to accidental death is suicide for that age range um and you combine that with the fact that young people nearly everything they do every decision they make is on the avoidance of loneliness Young people need um, connection and need to be connected to people. They need acceptance. They're trying to figure out who they are. Um, And so we've been through, we've been isolated. You know, a lot of young people have been isolated, which is very hard on them. And then young people are impulsive and make impulsive decisions about everything. Um, And it's sort of a cluster of impulsive acts, um, loneliness, isolation, desperation, and sort of not seeing a way out of the yuck that they're feeling that's super intense for them, yuck being a technical term there. Um, <laughs> and it is, it's, uh, it's going to be extremely challenging. Um, the, this isolation has been really difficult for all of us, but I think as an adult, we have the perspective to see um, how one year fits in our long lives. When you're 10, 11 years old, one year feels more like an eternity. And so I think what we're going to find is, you know, the suicide rates are going to be so much higher. Um, We're experiencing the same thing, Sandy, a higher rate in our county of young people attempting and or completing suicide. It's it's staggering and it's terrifying at the same time, just thinking ahead. um, In previous podcasts, we've spoken with um, Claudia, who's a mental health expert, about the ramifications um, of COVID and the isolation. And and she agrees with you that we don't even know the depth of it because it's not going to be fixed come September when kids are back in school, if they're back mm-hmm. in school. Um, it's not going to just go away. It's going to be, I mean, a 10-year-old, that's one-tenth of his life or her life that he or she has been in this isolation. So it is a really big deal. And to recover from all of this, um, it, it's, it's scary. So... I'm a parent, um, I'm an educator, Sandy's a parent, same. And what are some warning signs um, that are typical for young people who's thinking about suicide? What are some things that we can look for? That's a great question. Um, most young people, their warning signs tend to be more verbal and more indirect. So they'll saying things like, um, you'd be better off without me. You know, I wish I wasn't around. I bet you wish I wasn't around. Things would be so much easier for you if I wasn't here. These kind of veiled, um, veiled 
they don't tend not to say things like, I'm going to kill myself. I'm feeling suicidal. It tends to be more indirect. Um, and then a lot of it is posting. Um, you know, social media plays a huge role in this. And um, a lot of times they'll post things that are sort of veiled um that that things would be or it'll be everything will be okay after tomorrow i won't have to worry about any of this sort of indirect messages mm. um the the main thing families and and educators who work closely with young people need to look for is changes in behavior dramatic changes in behavior so um you know if you have a student who has been sort of a good student been sort of engaged with friends and is then you know, dropping in grades and or um, steering away from friends. It's very typical for adolescents to steer away from family. You know, my 14-year-old and 13-year-olds don't really want to hang out with me as much as they did even a year or two, three years ago. Um, But it's not typical for them to want to avoid friends. So if they tend to be, you know, not, not communicating with friends, sort of isolating themselves, all of those are signs you can look at. Um, they may not be in a suicidal crisis, but they would be indicators that there might be something going on mental health wise that you should, I always say when you, when you feel that spidey sense going off, that something's just not right. Something's not, not the same. Um, So if your student is, or your child is always been a little bit more shy and avoiding social situations, that's not necessarily a red flag. Right. It's if they were engaged before and they are withdrawing. Correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it's change. You're looking for a change mm-hmm. and, and tends to be, and it could be change for the positive. If you have a young person who's been really depressed and really struggling, struggling and overnight, they feel happy and jolly. Um, that can be a warning sign that they have planned their suicide attempt and they have a way out. So that it's an immediate mm-hmm abrupt relief for them. Um, Now, obviously like a slow transition out of depression into positivity is great and that's what we're looking for. But when anytime you have an abrupt sort of 180 or, you know, a young person who's always loved to do, you know, a certain activity and they don't wanna do that anymore but they haven't replaced it with something else. Um, You know, it's, it's typical to outgrow activities and take on a different new activity or new new interest, but um, to lose interest in all activities and not replace them with anything is something to look at. I think it's just so tricky because of the unique circumstances that we've all been living the last month, year and a half, where that sense of isolation has kind of happened to yes. all of us. And so mm-hmm. trying to highlight that as a parent, as an educator, to help these young students to, to see that there is a, a broader vision. There's the, mm-hmm. it does happen. And, and like Allison said, hopefully we are getting back to normalcy. We, we all see it as adults trying to, you know, get back to what we remember, what we remember as being normal. But right. It's just bizarre. As we ask for warning signs, it's just trusting that spidey sense, like you said. Right. Yeah. And, and the it, other thing we have to remember is most young people give warning signs to their friends. Um, oftentimes, family members aren't necessarily seeing them um, because the things they're saying and doing and posting are directed more at, at their friends. And so if their friends don't have um, the initiative or the courage to kind of reach out to adults, 
um, and let them know that these warning signs are there, oftentimes they're missed by adults in their life. And again, you know, I, I as a, let's say I'm a young person and I see warning signs in a friend, my first thought is going to be, I can't betray that friend. I can't lose that right. friendship, um, you know, because that's my world, you know, as an adolescent. And I don't want them to be mad at me or I don't want to be on the outs with them. Um, so it's really hard for young people, even if they do see the warning signs, to reach out to the adults in their lives and let them know um, what's going on. You know, Megan, you bring up such a good point about technology and that's such a common go-to for, for all of us, pretty much. Yeah. A lot of our younger generation, that's just their norm. That's how they communicate. What do you feel has the role of the technology has played into this? It's really complex because on the one hand, um, it can kind of play a negative role and really increase a young person's depression. There's all kinds of research that shows that, um, you know, as technology and screen time use go up, the rate of depression is linked, you know, it correlates directly with that. There's sort of a, a 90 minutes a day sweet spot where kids who get less than 90 minutes a day of screen time tend to have higher rates of depression. They tend to be more isolated and disconnected. Um, kids within that 90 minute a day screen time range um, tend to have, you know, lower rates of depression. And then 90 minutes and beyond, the rates of depression increase with the hours of usage. So in that sense, technology can play a really negative role. Um, on the other hand, technology has been a lifeline for a lot of young people for through sure. this isolation. Mm -hmm. And it has really saved a lot of people because, you know, connecting with friends through video games has been the only way they can connect through mm -hmm. friends or, you know, the texting and the sharing of, of pictures or, or looking at posts on social media has sort of, you know, kept people avoiding them, you know, getting out right. of their isolation. So I don't want to come across and saying, you know, technology is bad and social media is bad and it all leads to depression and, and can increase suicide. There's elements of that for sure. Um, it all has to do in moderation and how it's used, what they're watching when they're watching their, mm -hmm. you know, hours of whatever they're watching, um, what kind of input they're they're putting in and how they're connecting with people through technology. So it's kind of complex because it can be assistive um, and also too much individual screen time. And I, I define screen time as individual non-academic time where you're just, you know, scrolling through the hours of TikTok or YouTube or um, individual time. Um, but, you know, I mean, nowadays you can watch a movie with a friend who's in another house and be sharing emojis back and forth. And so in that way, technology can be really helpful. So it, it's just a matter of, of moderating at the amount and what, you know, the, the technology is. There's also a lot of great resources online for young people with mental health um, that if they're using technology to access sort of mental health resources, there's tons of um apps that can help with um, anxiety and depression and there's all kinds of resources. So technology is really complex because like I said, too much can lead to increased depression. Absolutely. Um, so it's really important to kind of pick and choose how you use technology with young people so that they can get reap the benefits without the negative. That's so that you said, you said 90 minutes. Is that 90 minutes on a screen or 90 minutes of social media? 
Um, it's basically, and again, you know, there's there's conflicting research, but the bulk of research says 90 minutes of screen time. So that could be um, a movie, you know, social media. And and to me, you know, in my experience, watching a movie, if you're sitting down with friends watching a movie, that to me does not count as screen time because it's okay. collaborative, it's social. Um, it's if social, you're sitting right? and watching a TV show with your with your daughter or son, that's social, that's connective, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's a shared experience. Um, so, you know, one of the things through this experience we have to realize is we've all had a way overabundance of technology because it, it really kind of has been our only outlet. So to me, it's more the, the, the image of the young person that's alone in their room individually scrolling okay. through, you know, looking at pictures on social media, looking at posts, watching YouTube videos. That is what I consider sort of isolating screen time. Okay. My daughter would argue as she sits next to me on her phone playing a video game, I'm social because we're together. That's that's her <laughs> argument with me. And as long as she's continuing to talk to me, I kind of let it go. Yeah. <laughs> she has we a have phrase. all adjusted our expectations yes. for all aspects of life this year. So. Absolutely. She had a, a term, and you might, I'm sure you probably know it, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, um, mirroring Oh gosh, compatibility or something about just being next to somebody in the same room. It doesn't matter if you're interacting or not. It has a calming effect on them. Mm-hmm. For And for a lot of young people, that is a huge interaction mm-hmm. to be sitting next to their parent on a couch, even if they're scrolling on their phone and, and their parent is watching a TV show, there is still a, a sense of community. It's not as good as having a conversation or sharing right. an experience together or an interactive experience together. But it is still better than, you know, the the withdrawn completely, the mm-hmm. isolated physically, at least a physical closeness is one aspect of closeness. When they're 17, you take what you can get sometimes. Yes, <laughs> yes you do. <laughs> Saying about resources, would it be possible to get a list of resources of those apps that you would recommend for parents so we can give them? Absolutely. Yeah, there's some great apps. There's also some really great, um, you know, crisis lines that, you know, in, in in the olden days of, you know, when we were young, we're typically a phone line that you could call, but now they are, there's some crisis lines that are text based, they're chat based and or they have internet resources that are really good. So yes, mm. I could definitely give you a that list would be great. Of those. So yeah. we'll post and that on our that Instagram I, page that as well. I always advocate for people to just put in their phone as a contact is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Um, it's a great resource. It's 1-800-273-8255. Um, and I'll send that to you also. But I always tell people, you know, 90% of the time people have their phone near them. And if you're working with a young person or someone, you know, is, is in crisis, it's just good to have it as a contact. Um, and they can text that number, they can call that number. So that's that's one that I always advocate for everyone because it is such a, um, a good resource. You can text to it as well? Yes. Yes, because I mean, for young people, making a phone call and talking to a human being, that's so out of their realm. Um, so, uh, you know, the world's adapting to their their method of technology and, and they get a live person that's texting back with them. And then, you know, that person usually can try to get them into a live conversation. But if not, they'll, they'll, they'll continue the, 
the crisis counseling through text. Oh, that's amazing. That is an incredible resource. Um, is it a good idea to talk about suicide um, with a young person or does that increase the likelihood of a suicide attempt? Um, I think honestly, that is the biggest myth and the, the scariest for adults. You know, I work with mm -hmm. parents and families all the time that say, well, I don't want to ask them if they're thinking about suicide because I don't want to put the idea in their head. If I right. bring up the idea of suicide, then then I'm that'll make them want to do it. Um, and the reality is that's just 100% not true. That okay. all research shows that talking about it um, lowers the risk that a suicide attempt will happen, opens up um, the avenue for discussion, and it, it reduces the young person's um, uh, likelihood. So it's sort of like anything. I think there's a myth that if we, if you know, if you talk about sex, your kids are going to have sex, or if you talk about drinking, your kids are going to drink. When the the honest reality is, the more you talk about those things, and the less likely they are to do it. And opening up and saying, hey, you know, I've noticed that you you're with it's you seem to be withdrawing more and don't seem to be getting enjoyment out of things and haven't connected with friends and I'm you know I'm concerned about you is there something going on and um you know are you are you thinking about suicide but asking that question openly is actually a great way to reduce the risk that a young person will uh, take their life um letting them know that it's okay to talk about suicidal thoughts mm -hmm. i mean suicidal thoughts are incredibly common um, it's not a it's not a rarity that someone thinks about suicide. And just in our 2019 statistics, there was a reported documented 12 million Americans reported seriously considering suicide. Um, wow. And that's those that are documented. Um, and of those 1.4 million actually attempted suicide. So a vast number of people, it's 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 okay to say a lot of people think about, suicide, but acting on it is what we want to prevent. Mm -hmm. And um, and also remembering that suicide isn't the problem. Suicide is what a young person perceives as the only solution to their problem. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to give them hope and offer other solutions and avenues out of the pain they're feeling or the fear, the anger, the hostility, whatever it is that, that's, um, that is churning within them. Um, the saying thinking about suicide is common, but acting on it isn't the way that we sh to go, you know. Right. Life is hard. And mm -hmm. especially this past year and a half has been so hard. And I'm, I'm old and it was probably the hardest year I've lived through mm -hmm. um, for yeah. so many reasons. I'm a very social creature. Um, and it was it was difficult for me, but I have the life experience to know that there's, you know, it's not going to stay this way forever, but mm -hmm. you know, for these, for these youth, it, they don't have that wisdom. Um, they're so immediate. They're so in the moment and egocentric, you know, that's a word that I've used to describe my daughter quite often <laughs> as a 17 year old, very egocentric. Um, yes. They can't see past what they're dealing with. And that's, so you saying suicide is not the problem. I've never thought of it that way. It's, it's to them, the solution, which is, terrifying in and of itself, but talking about it, I, I would, that, that's such a huge myth to me that you shouldn't talk about it, but you're saying, you know, absolutely not. It actually lowers the anxiety of the mm -hmm. student opening up that dialogue, which I, I, if anybody is listening out there and gets that bit of advice, that's just 
so mm-hmm. timely for me. I, that's just such a good no, bit of advice. No, that's eye-opening right to hear mm-hmm. those words, Megan, because it it does it. It's so scary. It's just something mm-hmm. that's just so just it's, it's monumental. And, and to be able mm-hmm. to open that conversation, if it can make a difference to the young people around us, it would just, mm-hmm. that is so helpful to hear. Yeah. And, and too, when I work with people and, and try to work with educators and training educators or families, um, one of the things I say is it's, it's scary. It's terrifying. It's not an easy question to ask a young person. Um, you know, are you thinking about suicide, especially because usually the young person you're asking is someone you care about, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it's okay to say, I, I feel nervous about asking you this because I care about you, but I can handle it and I know what to do. It's important that we don't transfer our nervousness in asking the question to a young person so that they think I can't tell them the truth or I can't right. let them know because they can't handle it or they're too scared or they're, you know. Um, so it's it, asking the question is important, but I mean, we're all real human beings and this is a terrifying question to ask. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. sometimes people hesitate to ask because they just feel nervous or I'm going to do it wrong or right. the reality is if you're just open and honest, um, there isn't really a wrong way unless you're putting judgment in it. One thing you never want to do is is say like, you're not thinking about suicide, are you? Um, Because the only thing, the only answer a young person can give you to that question is no, you're leading them to saying no. And what you want to do, I always say, picture this young person is in a hole. They're, they're in a deep hole. And what you want to be doing is extending a ladder down into the hole instead of throwing dirt on their head. And so any kind of judgment or negativity or mm. fear, angst that you're piling on just piles on the dirt. And what you want to do is offer them a ladder that says like, hey, I know the steps we can take to get help. Or I'm going to figure out with you the steps we can take to get help. There's so many avenues we can we can go to get you help. Let's help get you out of this this hole you're in. You know, so just that is such that. a powerful visual. I know that that and really just, made a big difference to me too. Just to think of it in that respect. Yeah, so. I think sometimes now, people. Megan, you, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you you made um, a comment early on about you know you're afraid to talk to your kids about sex or about drinking or about drugs because you're afraid they're going to do it. However, in the classes in the public school system, there is sex education. There is um, dare and alcohol, you know, drug and alcohol um, education. Is there suicide education or suicide prevention education? That is such, such a great question. And and you pretty much just slipped my soapbox right under my feet Um, because (laughs) I, I do trainings all the time with, educators, with families, with um, administrators. Um, and what what I need to be doing is doing trainings all the time with young people, especially right. when you consider that um, young people, the warning signs they're giving are given are mostly seen by their friends. So there is a push to do more of this. Um, I know that in some, like in our school district, uh, health is still a graduation requirement, which it isn't Mm -hmm. in a lot of school districts, but in our school district it is. And so mental health is a component of that and suicide prevention is a component of that. So that's fabulous. Um, And I think the push in school districts right now is more on seeing the, the the young person as a whole individual and social. I mean, especially as we come out of this, I mean, everyone is worried about the academic deficits young people will have from this wacky year that we have had. Absolutely. Um, 
but it's not just academic deficits. They're going to have social emotional deficits. You know, you, you have kids who it was difficult for them to engage prior to this, and now they've been isolated for so long, it's going to be even more difficult. So I do think that there is a push towards um, social emotional learning in schools and some, you know, suicide prevention, mental health. I think all of that is, is, is seeping into it, but not enough. Um, not enough. I do know that like uh, two years ago, prior to COVID, our school district post put on the back of every ID card of every seventh through 12th grader, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number on the wow. back of every school ID card um, because they wanted students to have that access immediately and they wanted it. Mm -hmm. Part of it too is destigmatizing the conversation. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so many of the barriers to young people getting assistance is the stigma. You know, mm -hmm. if, if your young person has cancer, you're not going to say just tough it out. You know, you can deal right. with it on your own. You you can get through it. Um, you know, we don't need to tell anyone about this. We don't need to let people know this is happening. Mm -hmm. But if your young person has an anxiety disorder or a, a severe depressive disorder, there's still that whole feeling like, well, we can just get through it on our own or we don't need to tell anybody about this. Or um, So I think part of um, the our school district's push to have that on there was a safety net for young people and also just to kind of open up that conversation and destigmatize. Um, so that's a huge thing that, and in fact, you know, the statistics for the last 20 years, they've been incrementally increasing in the number of young people who've died by suicide. In 2019, for the first time in decades, the number went down. The 2018 number of young oh. people who died by suicide is low, is higher than the 2019 number. So pre-COVID, I feel like we're really kind of at a turning point where this is becoming something that young people can talk about and, and know that there are avenues for help and adults and parents and educators are getting more confident in discussing it and finding help. Um, school districts are, are, you know, hiring social workers and mental health therapists and those kinds of roles. Um, but then the world shut down and we, you know, we took a, a hard right turn and I'm not sure how it's going to end up coming out of it. So that, I have to add, say that's oh, really sorry. encouraging. Sorry, mm -hmm. it's encouraging to hear those steps and and to know that such a school district is is making those forward movements and providing that access to that phone number to these students. I just, like you said, it just takes that stigma away. That's, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I've also noticed a big push in Hollywood. Um, I think this is actually one thing that Hollywood gets right. <laughs> they do a lot wrong in my book, but in this, in this term, um, they are really promoting mental health and um, destigmatizing it. I'm just trying to think who I saw somebody when I was doing my 30 minutes of scrolling today. Um, it, it was, uh, I think it was Sean Mendez and he was wearing a baseball hat and on that baseball hat itself, it said um, something about mental health awareness. And it was just, uh, he wasn't doing anything about it that moment. He was posting a picture at the beach. He has happened to be wearing that hat. And so there, it seems like they're normalizing it. John Krasinski, um, good, Mr. Good News over the uh, pandemic, yes. he just posted something recently about um, his mental health and how, you know, it's, it's okay. They're, they're trying to talk about it. And these are big yes. stars on TV and in movies. And I, I think that's, they're getting it right. You know, they're, they're, they're also, talking about it. Prince Harry and Oprah. Oh, yes. And all of that. I mean, all of these conversations and it's hitting like, 
technology in this case is great. <laughs> you know, right. being able to get the word out and trying to get access to, to just more information and resources. Megan, you've been so, so helpful. I feel so much just better yeah, hearing. Helpful. I, yeah, exactly. Sean Mendez's hat says, thank you for asking about my mental health. And just Love a baseball it. cap. And it just, oh. yeah, it's awesome. It's, but and you're the right. More, the more young, you know, desirable, the, the people that our young people are looking up to, the more that they embrace that, the easier it is for our young people to embrace and, um, you know, access the help. So mm -hmm. I think that that's, like you said, that's, that's a fabulous example. And, and the, the bottom line is the antidote to suicide is hope. And so anytime you're building hope um, and, and building a way for young people to reach, reach on is, is the way to prevent suicide. Right. It just, um, talking about it, that's the biggest thing. And I was um, nervous about this podcast today because I've always been afraid of the hard subjects. Um, when my parents growing up, when my parents would start talking politics and start disagreeing or arguing, I would leave the room. When uh, my sister and her husband would argue about religion, I leave the room. When, you know, when the kids want to talk about, you know, sex or anything, I leave the room, that sort of thing. I, I've never been very comfortable with the, the hard conversations um, until I was teaching, actually, when I was teaching elementary school and they made me teach the sex ed. Um, and I remember having to just stand in front of the kids and talk about all of those things. And, um, it was, it, it I grew up very, very, very fast. <laughs> and now as a parent, we're able to talk, you know, openly about some of those things, but suicide was one that just, I was of that mindset. If I talk about it, it's going to happen. And, um, so I really, truly appreciate your expertise, um, on this matter and and you're just your openness to talk about it with us and spend this past hour i really think megan is going to be one of our repeat podcasters because she has so much so yeah she has so much to share with us and mental health being what it is especially i mean it's a big deal anyway but just the past year and a half as we come out of this quarantine and what is that going to look like i think i think your job is going to be incredibly important but I think it should hopefully expand more in the education role where you teach more and more people, because I think what you have to offer is invaluable. And I think their lives depend on it, literally. Oh, thank you so much. It has been um, such a pleasure talking with you. And I'd love to be back. Megan. Oh, it's wonderful. Thank you so much. Like Allison said, you just provided such hope. And thank you for the resources and the tools, because it allows all of us to, to just be out there and, and, be more aware and not afraid because I too was nervous about talking about this topic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Megan and our listeners out there. Um, Megan is not on social media. So if you have any questions directly for her, you can email her through um, our email, learning reimagined the pod at Gmail or directly through Instagram. You can send us a direct message. We get to those pretty quickly and we all make sure Megan gets, um, we get in touch with Megan. So thank you very much for joining us today. I hope you learned something from our expert and we will see you on the next one. Thank you.